helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. I know most people don't think of this way, but every election is a job opportunity. Incumbent candidates have a job review while others are interviewing for the job. I think looking at elections as job reviews and interviews would be quite healthy for Americans. So each and every person in an elected position takes an oath or affirmation to support the Constitution of their state and the United States. In a way, that makes those, these documents their employee handbook. So as the time for voting approaches, how about we review those incumbent candidates based on their employee handbook and decide if they've done their job and, and fulfilled their oath of office? Let's look at the resume and the interview for those new job candidates as closely as we would hiring a new employee. Perhaps if we started treating our elections as job openings, we'd start hiring a better class of public servant. Hello there, Everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution, teach the rising generation to be free. I'm glad you could join me today. You know, I know, I look at things differently. I'm weird. I was telling somebody just yesterday, and I said, yes, I'm weird. I don't suffer from it. I thoroughly enjoy it. I like looking at things differently. I like approaching things differently and just, you know, looking at things from another point of view. And this idea of recognizing that an election is effectively a, a, a job interview. I think there's a lot of merit to that. It's how I've started approaching elections that I vote in. A candidate comes to me, the first thing I ask them is, show me where you have fulfilled your oath to support the Constitution of the United States when it costs you something. It reminds me of interviews I've been on before. Now, some of these, some of the interviews have been foolish. I remember one interview where uh, one of the questions the person had for me was, uh, you know, if you have a cube made up of other cubes, uh, you know, I forget it was eight, uh, ten cubes by ten cubes by ten cubes, and then you take one side off of each of that larger cube. How many smaller cubes you have left? I mean, that was a to me it was a goofy question. It was, it was meant to see how I would react to a situation like that. My personal favorite foolish question was, how would I go about estimating the number of phone booths in Manhattan? Goes to show you how long ago this interview was. They still understood this thing called phone booths. I call it foolish because my answer was, listen, you could estimate based on population or just geographic density, but the answer is you pick up the phone, you call the phone company, you ask them. So when we come to these job interviews, for people who wish the, the, to exercise our power to run different parts of our country, I think we should avoid the foolish, you know, hey, you know, what do you like to have for breakfast? Or, you know, which group of people do you like to hang out with? I think we should have much more substantive questions in mind. Now, I admit, when I asked my, my first question, right, it's, you know, show me where you've actually fulfilled your oath to support the Constitution, when it costs you something. It's, I it's constructed it specifically uh, to do a few things, right? First of all, I'm asking, you took it, you, you know, you, you've taken an oath or you're going to take an oath to support Constitution. Have you done that? 
could you do you have an idea in the top of your mind where you've actually specifically fulfilled that oath because if if that's not part of your understanding of the job you're not qualified for the job but i'm also specific saying when it costs you something you know because it's real easy to keep your oath when there's no cost to it you know if everybody's going down the road and everything is cool and constitutional and you're just going along that doesn't tell me anything about you yet but when you're standing in the flow saying no no this is wrong this is unconstitutional that tells me something very much about you and to me these are important concepts these are are ways i i uh, vet uh candidates again i'm weird i do things differently but i think if we start thinking that way again maybe we'll hire a a better class of uh of public servant let me give an example most of us are probably aware of and that is the impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas. There's actually been a lot of steps here, and, and I, I've been gleaning a lot of information. I believe it was uh, it was Marjorie Taylor Greene that first submitted uh, articles of impeachment, a, re, a, a draft resolution with articles of impeachment for Secretary Mayorkas. Now, I read that draft, and I talked about it here on, on the program. It was awful. It was a political move. It was not a a truly constitutionally sound. It was, you know, we don't like the way the policies you've been putting in place. The problem is the Constitution says it has to be uh, treason, bribery, high crimes, or misdemeanors. So it doesn't work. But what's interesting is the committee got a hold of it, and they created what I thought was a pretty good set of articles of impeachment. They laid out the violations of his oath of office. They, they, they laid out violations of federal law. Uh, he has a job to implement federal law and, and examples of um, where he did not, where, and, and accusations of perjury, right? Lying while under oath, that's perjury. That's a, that's a crime. And oh, by the way, for everybody who reminds me, a misdemeanor doesn't mean a crime. People saying, you know, well, you got to be convicted of a crime. No, a misdemeanor is merely bad behavior. Go back to Webster's 1828 Dictionary. So we went from a, a candidate that had a, what, what appeared to me to be a political move to a committee that had something that actually may have had some teeth in it, but to me had one serious flaw, and, uh, uh, it, which I believe had a political reason for it, and that was uh, I, I doubt Mr. Mayorkas was making these policy decisions on his own. He does actually work for the president of the United States, and since all executive power is vested in the president, then either Mr. Mayorkas is rogue, or Mr. Biden is also complicit in this as well. Uh, but again, that may not have been done for, again, for political purposes. So then we had the first vote, and the first vote for, for impeachment failed. And, and again, we're getting into a little bit of uh, parliamentary games. It was going to be a tie. And uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but one of the, uh, um, I, I, I'm drawing a his name. Uh, it was the guy that, that uh, um, uh, one, one of the, the, the Republicans voted against impeachment so that it wouldn't be a tie. Because under the parliamentary rules of the House, if it was a tie, the gig was up. They, they, they could not bring it back up for a vote. If it, would, if it failed, it could be brought up for a vote again. So that was a little bit of political machinations, fine. 
um, take it as it take you know take it as it is. When they came back for a revote, I think it was by one vote, articles of impeachment were passed. Were, were the the articles were, um, the articles were adopted. They were approved by the House, and therefore went to the Senate for uh, for trial as required by the Constitution. I saw a lot of people how they reacted to this in a couple of different ways. Uh, a lot of people were cheering, yay! You know, we impeached uh, uh, Secretary Mayorkas. All right. There are a lot of people that, that was going, boo, this is evil, this is all politics, and uh, there's a lot there. Here's what I, but, but the one that made me, brought my, my interest into it, were those who said it was a waste of time. Now, on the one side, on one hand, I can see a little bit of a of you know well they're never the the, the Senate is never going to convict uh, uh, Mr. Mayorkas. Uh, it, it's it's they have a a small majority in the Senate. The Democrats have a small majority, but even then, if you use a few, they need a two thirds majority to actually convict him. So uh, why are we doing this? Well, to me, the answer is simple. Duty is ours. Results are God's. That's what John Quincy Adams said. You do the right thing because it is the right thing. And if you don't get the outcome that you want, at least you did the right thing. The problem with this idea of we shouldn't bother because we're not going to get the outcome is you never know until you try. Now, yeah, there's been a lot of news about this. There's been a lot of of rhetoric about this. But ultimately, if you never try, you never succeed. And even the, the, uh, the going through the process of the, the House impeachment is a, form, is a certain level of punishment. It's not quite lawfare, but it's this idea of the, the process is the punishment. That's part of it. And if you, know, if you are a secretary of a federal agency, and you do all these bad things, and not only you're never held accountable, you're never even que- it's never even questioned. Why would you stop? Why would you stop? Now, I'm not saying this this whole Mayorkas thing is is going to change the way Washington works. No, no, no. But in fact, you do. You know, they they talk about the ends justifying the means. If you don't get the ends you want, well, it doesn't justify the means. But that is not the way liberty works. Liberty says you do what is right. And if you don't get the outcome you want, at least you can look yourself in the mirror in the morning and say, yes, I did what was right. I didn't get the outcome I wanted, but at least I did what was right. I could stand before my creator and said, I did my duty. I did what was right. And hopefully you could say, I will stand before those who will hire me. I will stand before the the people who support me the 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 um, uh, the the people I represent and I can tell them at least I did the right thing I didn't go cowering in a hole because I didn't think I could get the outcome I wanted I did what the, what I thought was right here's why I thought it was right and as an employer of elected representatives I would much rather have somebody that will do the right thing because it's the right thing and lose then have somebody that will not do anything because they're afraid they won't win 
And I think that's an attitude. Now, here's the interesting this saga isn't over. Sure, you've got the, the trial in the Senate, and that's all but a fait accompli. But consider this. Uh, there's new legislation that will be introduced by Representative Stephanie Bice. And, and this is interesting. It would cut Mr. Mayorkas's salary each time he delays the release of statistics about border encounters. So apparently one of the things that, that has been um, uh, prob a problem is Congress keeps saying, we want the numbers, give us the numbers. And um, they're claiming that Mr. Mayorkas isn't giving them the numbers or that the numbers are being posted in such a way as to um, not make the news cycle. So uh, this salary or this, this legislation would set a deadline for DHS to release the monthly border encounter statistics and uh, slash the salary of Secretary Marcus if it's not met. Now, what are they talking about as far as slashing the salary? Well, as I understand it, and, and I haven't actually seen the legislation, I'm looking for it, but I haven't seen it. Um, there's a deadline that, again, Mr. Marcus has not been meeting as far as reporting these. If they do, they're going to cut his, now he currently makes about $200,000. He makes $203,500 a year. Not a bad gig. Now, if he failed to meet the timely release every month for a year, that would reduce his salary by $50,000. Now, listen, I don't know, Mr. Americus, I don't know how wealthy he is. I don't know how big a deal this is, but I would think uh, losing almost a quarter of your salary uh, for a year of, of not doing your job, that would have some incentive. Now, I'm sure someone's going to complain that you can't reduce the salary of a government employee during his term and all that. Uh, the only place I know that that is, the, is true uh, is Article 3 in, in referring to, uh, to judges. Art Article 3, Section 1 says, uh, they shall at stated times receive for their services a compensation which shall not be diminished during their continuance in office. Um, while members of, the of Congress receive a compensation, the president receives a compensation. Um, uh, the, actually, I take that back. The president also shall not be reduced. So the president um, shall receive a compensation which shall neither be increased nor diminished during the period which, with which he shall be elected. So the president, you can't do that. The judges, you can't do that. Um, uh, it doesn't say anything about that for uh, senators and representatives, just as they will receive a compensation for their services to be ascertained by law and paid out of the treasury. So there's nothing in the Constitution that says you cannot decrease the, the compensation of a member of the president's cabinet. So you could look at the idea and say, "Hey, this is great. If you're not going to do the, if you're not going to do the job, you're going to get punished for it, and maybe that means taking away some money." I, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with with the with that with him uh, decreasing his salary if he's not fulfilling the job as established by law. Um, but again, if we look at him as an employee. Right, because he's he's an employee of one of our of an employee, right? The president. But I also look at this. What about these representatives that are now looking at this legislation? As an employee, are they fulfilling their oath? They've passed the law. They have the power of the purse. 
if a member of the executive branch is not doing the job he was hired for, isn't it right to um, dock his pay? I, in other words, I, I, I kind of like this idea. I probably want to mull over it a bit more. But in general, okay, yeah, if you're not going to do the job, that's why Congress has the power of the purse. It's why um, the, the uh, 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 well, I guess you know, the, the ability to um, collect taxes, all bills for raising revenue are vested in the House, um, so that they can, the, the representative of the people, have control over the money and can use that power of the purse to keep uh, agents, agents and agencies and individuals in line. So I've got some more examples I want you to consider, but I, I have to take a break. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been running around lately, and one of the things I look forward to is a good night's sleep. If I don't get a good night's sleep, I wake up tired. It's harder for me to get all the work done that I need to get done to keep all everything I got going here at the Constitution going. I found something that works great. I found a sleep supplement that is, supports all four stages of sleep. It helps you fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deeply so I can wake up refreshed and ready to go. That's Healthy Cells REM Sleep Supplement. It's a travel-ready gel pack, so when I travel, which is what I need the most, I just throw them in my bag, and they work great. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your first order of anything from Healthy Cell. Find out how at americaoutloud.shop. But give it a try. If, you're worried, if you have problems sleeping, check out the REM supplement. Check out Healthy Cell's great products. And if you want that 25% off your first order, go to americaoutloud.shop to find all the details. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? 
crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to americaoutloud.shop. That's americaoutloud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use Cofix RX because it works. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study. I'm glad you did. We're looking at government employee review. We're coming up to elections. It's a good time to review the work of our employees and see if they fulfilled their duties under the handbook. Uh, in this case, you're talking about the federal uh, le legislature and whatnot. You're talking about the Constitution of the United States. Now, listen, I have, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about telework and uh, people who work from home. And it was odd because, granted, when COVID hit, I was no longer employed in corporate America. I'd walked away from my, my IT career. But for 20 years before that, I worked from home. And personally, I loved it. Now, part of it was because I, the way my mind works, I work well from home. I had a separate office. I had a place I could go to focus on work. I could focus on my work. And, uh, yeah, I miss interacting with people uh, sometimes, but my job required me to go to meet customers and stuff like that. But I didn't have the constant interruptions. Whenever I had to go into the office for a day, uh, it seemed like I'd be getting interrupted in what I'm working. And, and so I liked it, but I know it doesn't work for everyone and it doesn't work in certain situations. And there are certain very serious security requirements that had to be followed for people to work from home. Now, I bring this up because there was a uh, a meeting, uh, uh, there, there was a, a I guess, I guess it was a hearing or something between before the House Ways and Means Committee, and it had to do with um, telework and the uh, um, the use of government facilities. But they were focusing on the IRS because they had uh, uh, IRS Commissioner David uh, Werfel uh, was was testifying. And uh, well, let me let you open with with this from the uh, from the hearing. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Commissioner, for appearing today. I'd like to go back, if I can, please, to the GAO report that Congressman Estes was asking about. This is the one dated July 13, 2023. The title of it is, Preliminary Results Show Federal Buildings Remain Underutilized Due to Longstanding Challenges in Increased Telework. If I can, just let me read maybe two sentences. 17 of the 24 federal agencies in GAO's review used an estimated average 25% or less of their headquarters building capacity in a three-week sample period across January, February, and March of 2023. On the higher range, agencies used an estimated 39 to 49% of the capacity of their headquarters on average. Do you know, on an average day, Commissioner, how much of your headquarters building is being used? Now, this, by the way, has been a problem for, for many years. Um, more and more businesses had uh, leased office space. And as more and more employees were able to work from home or telework, as it's, as it's called, um, their need for office space has declined. Now, this has had an interesting effect. And uh, again, the, the difference is... Um, as I understand it, uh, you know, corporations, it's a lot easier for them to shed this excess space 
from from their books if they're dealing with with leases whatnot as opposed to the government You're, the government's paying for these big buildings and if they're only 25 30 percent occupied that's a tremendous expense and, and should be looked at but the, the question came up about the irs and this is this is a spot I'm, I'm moving forward in the in the hearing but this is what i want you to think about when we're talking specifically about telework and the irs um we've heard different things and uh questions today to you from from members anecdotally subjectively what i what i hear from my staff and from C cpas and practitioners that have to reach the irs is that it's a real struggle to get a hold of somebody and, and you talked about earlier um, some of the challenges with the phone the the callback which i appreciate yes i would contend respectfully that not having employees in the office and having them work remotely presents challenges not only to your agency but to the people that have to interact with it would you agree with that now, at this point i pretty much figure that uh, representative uh, kostoff who's uh, the Congress uh, uh, for the Ways and Means, and Means Committee um, either doesn't know how telework works or doesn't know how technology works nowadays. Um, there's no reason, uh, unless you have to physically interact with a person or a part, um, access via phone doesn't care where you are. Modern phone systems, and again, I've, I've worked on modern phones. I've worked with modern phone systems. They have no clue where you are. I used to cover half a country and people would call a local phone number and get me wherever I was in, in half the United States. This is not a problem with um, telework. This may be a problem with personnel. It may be a problem with uh, the, uh, the uh, government technology. But I know a lot of government systems use uh, Cisco phone systems. I used to I used to work for Cisco, not in their phone systems. I worked in their data centers, but we worked with a lot of phone systems. I know how this phone system works. They don't care. My phone number, my Cisco phone number was at, at the office, at home, on my cell phone. It was everywhere. So he's like, it's a, it's a problem that they're not in the office. I disagree. Maybe it's a problem that they're not doing their job. Maybe it's a problem that the technology the government has implemented is is flawed. I mean, we've never had government have a hard time getting technology, like say, oh, a website up and running. We've never had any of that. But there, there again, there's still one thing about the IRS that uh, I, I want to, I want to discuss with you. Well, for me, what I look had, at is had a number of questions here about security. We've all we're all concerned about it. I know you're yes. you're concerned about it, whether it's Mr. Little John or whatever, as it relates to taxpayer information. From a security standpoint, wouldn't it be safer and more secure to have taxpayer information accessed at an IRS office versus an IRS employee's home? Now, this isn't, we're in my bailiwick, right? IT security in my this is my where I worked for 30 years and I have to say it, the 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 Senate the representative is about to make a very simplistic argument that I'm going to blow the snot out of but this is potentially true 
right? Because the it, it, you you think of it this way: you think if you are, um, let's say you you walk into the office one day. I don't care where you work. You walk into the office. You sit down at an office computer. You log into an app in the office, and everything in your mind says that data is now more secure than if I was accessing it from home. But that's not entirely true. It's not necessarily true for many reasons. If you're, if the computer you're using to access this data has access to the internet, then the answer is no. Now, if you are in, in, in a high security, if you're in like a C2 security environment where the computer you use to access that data has no access to the outside world, it does not have internet access at all, then that statement is true. But I've yet to find one company out uh, the, a situation where more than than a handful of of employees in extremely high security situations would do such a thing. Use what what's commonly referred to as an air gap system. So you sit down in an office building and you log into your computer and you check your email. Uh, and, and uh, you know, maybe check a couple websites and then you go access this data, which, by the way, is probably accessed through a web browser. Um, guess what? That system can be infiltrated. Hey, you get a, a you know, it, it doesn't take an email from a Nigerian prince to have malware on your system, gathering data and looking at what you're looking at. So. This is not the, the the difference between doing it in in an office or versing at home. The difference is minuscule. And now the representative is going to come up with a a uh, um, a straw man. I'm sorry. I'm going to light this pup this puppy on fire when we're done. It's a true statement that IRS employees, when they are working remotely from home, can access taxpayer information. Right. Certain employees, depending on the need, yes. Nothing to prevent the employee's 19-year-old son walking behind the screen from taking a screenshot of whatever's on the screen, correct? That would be a violation of that employee's responsibility to protect uh, information. There would be significant consequences for that, and therefore uh, virtually all IRS employees are very rigid in how taxpayer information is handled, whether it's handled on their computer screen in a remote location or on an IRS site. But it's true that that situation wouldn't occur if that employee were in the office, right? Okay, straw man stood up, now it's time to light the match. Of all the ridiculous security concerns to have, of all the myriad of ways data can be compromised, and data has been compromised, you're worried about a, an employee's 19-year-old son walking behind, snapping uh, screenshots. Now, first of all, um, if you're in a, 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 an environment where you're dealing with what's called PII, personally identifiable information, most standard security requires you to put, there's a, there's a, a screen protector you put on your screens that prevents you, it from being viewed any direction except straight on. Meaning if someone's sitting behind you on your, they can't see the screen. Only you, when you're sitting directly in front of it, can you read it. So there's a little problem number one. Two, are you more worried about the 19-year-old son walking by and for some reason snapping a screenshot? Or are you more worried about the employee hitting the screenshot button on their keyboard? Which, by the way, 
most uh, uh, places, I, I, I don't even know if the IRS disables those on equipment in the office. It, 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 this, this is ridiculous. I'm much more worried about, guess what, uh, the employee getting that email or visiting that website that puts some malware on the system that just sits there and snoops. And that system can be in an IRS office. It can be in their home. It could be anywhere. You're worrying about the wrong things. The, the, from a security standpoint, the, the IRS security has already had some issues, some vulnerability, and it had nothing to do with the location of the employee accessing the data. It had to do with the data security systems themselves. Now, let's listen to a question from Representative uh, Ron Estes. So how can somebody in a remote location be handling niche tax returns? That just seems to me that it's not doing the job that needs to be done to help service American constituents. That shows you that Ron Estes, again, has no clue how work happens. A person's location, now, unless they're dealing with physical paper, and I don't know about you, my tax return has been filed in physical paper for, what, five years, seven years, maybe more? If it's not physical paper, where you are does not matter. If you're an IRS employee, regardless of where you log in, you get access to the to the network. You log into the system. You uh, uh, you have a, a task to look at someone's tax return. You get the you get the digital version. If they did file a paper tax return, it's scanned and you look at it. What does it matter where you are? See, my concern is you have here two members of the House of Representatives. All right. Mr. Uh, Kostoff and Mr. Estes, that apparently have no clue how modern life works. Now, yes, there need to be security issues. And yes, when you are outside of the physical network, there is another layer of physical security that you need to implement. It's not that hard. It's called a VPN, a virtual private network. They've been used for decades to gain external access to an internal network. They come with lots of security. But I have to ask you, if these are your employees and they seem to be focused on the wrong things, are these really the right people to be passing laws about how often, you know, how much time someone needs to spend in the office and what percentage of the employees are physically in the office? And they don't even understand how these systems work. I mean, I work remotely, as I said, for over 20 years for multiple corporations. And they, it, 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 other than the fact that they used to, it was funny, every so often you'd get a manager that would force us to show up into the office. And what was really interesting is uh, I tracked it a couple times. Um, the, the days I was forced to be in the office were some of my least productive days. Think about Washington, D.C. Just think about Washington, D.C. traffic. So in order to do nine to five in D.C. traffic, you're going to get up, you're going to have to hit the road 7, 7.30 in the morning because you got to go through all that traffic to get to an office. You get to an office and uh, uh, you sit down and let's assume, let's assume there are no other inter disturbances, right? We'll, we'll, we'll ignore all of that. You sit down, you do your job, 5 o'clock rolls around, you have to struggle and fight your way home. And guess what? For uh, you, you got paid for eight hours. You actually work more like 10 to 11 if you count the commute time, maybe as much as 12. You, you, when you show up at the office, you're frustrated from, from, uh, from 
the traffic, uh, you're dealing with all that. Wouldn't it be nice to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning, have a cup of coffee, maybe check your email and stuff so that by 9 o'clock you're ready to rock and roll and your phone is just like being in the office, right? Part of the problem I think we have is is a lot of people may be voting for, for Mr. Estes and Mr. Kostoff um, thinking, hey, yeah, they're worried about us. These people have no clue how the, how the system works. They don't understand modern workplace or modern technology, and they're willing to further bind federal employees to an antiquated system, an antiquated idea of how life works, not to make things better, but simply because they don't understand. Is that really the employee you want uh, uh, making such decisions? Okay, I, I have to take another break. Um, by the way, do me a favor. Head over to AmericaOutloud.news. In fact, I do it every day. I'd love it if you did as well. There's a lot of great news. There's a lot of great information there. But I'm going to ask you to do something. Knowledge is not power until you put it into action. So I want you to go to that to AmericaOutloud.news. I want to check out the stories and articles. Find something new, something you hadn't thought of yet, something you 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 think people should know. Maybe find a podcast or a video where someone explains an idea or a concept better than you've ever heard before. Then share it. Share it with a friend. Share it with family. Share it with social media. I don't care how how many places you share it. I don't care how many followers you have. The act of sharing this information does more then let people know what's going on. It's the sharing of information that is the cornerstone to the blessings of liberty. Cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar, inflammation, and weight. These are all real-world problems that 87% of Americans are struggling with. Often, there are no symptoms, but left unattended, we become inundated with one health problem after another. It's time to fight back with Heal Right. Heal Right is a bar that you eat, but it's food as medicine that addresses the nutritional root cause of health issues in just eight weeks. Developed by world-renowned scientists and backed by 15 years of research, Heal Right is effective, but it's also delicious and works without additional diet or lifestyle changes. Step out of the statistics and use food as medicine. Visit HealRight.com slash OutLoud or AmericaOutloud.shop and use the code OUTLOUD for 20% off. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel and be our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them. From improving immune health, regulating hormone balance, supporting gut health, to soothing the skin, even reducing the appearance of wrinkles, fine lines, and cellulite, and providing targeted support for mind, mood, energy, and even our body's own production of collagen. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in becoming your best self and fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. 
Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution Study. Today, we're talking about a government employee review. Just looking at things that the government is doing and asking, um, listen, is that authorized by the handbook? Are employees in elected office doing what they've been employed to do? And if not, are we going to fire them? Or just kind of uh, let the bad apples keep keep growing? Now, I've talked already about uh, uh, Secretary Mayorkas. We talked about the IRS. Let's take a look at the census. Every 10 years, you go through the census. And um, there's a fundamental misunderstanding about the census. Um, that fundamental misunderstanding is its purpose. See, the government says we need to collect all of this personal data. We have to have all this demographic data so that we know how better to serve the American people. Hogwash. That's a lie. See, under Article 1, Section 2, uh, we, we understand that the representatives and, tech and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states that may be included within this union according to their respective numbers. Um, what they forget is that the actual, it also says the actual enumeration shall be made from three years after the first meeting of Congress in the United States and with every subsequent term of 10 years in such manner as the law may direct. So the enumeration, the, the, you know, how they actually go about counting the numbers, that's determined by law. The actual, what the, what is the enumeration that's important, not all of this other nonsense. It's why when I get that, uh, uh, that census form, I answer uh, just a couple, I, I, I put my name, I put my address, I put the number of people that live here. That's it. Because guess what? Now the census wants to ask about things like uh, gender identity and sexual orientation. This is not a demographic exercise because Congress is not supposed to be spending money for the benefit of the American people. Remember, Congress can only spend money to do three things. Pay the debts of the United States, the common defense of the United States, and the general welfare of the United States. Capital U, capital S, proper noun. The very same proper noun that the Tenth Amendment says, if we didn't give you that power via the Constitution, you don't have it. So now we're going to have all this brouhaha. People are going to say, well, well, why are you collecting that data? It's none of your business. And uh, I've, I've even gone so far to, and I probably have to, now I think about it, I probably have to talk to my sheriff again. Um, I did this, uh, uh, I talked to him before, I said, uh, but um, when the census uh, uh, came up in 2020, I said, uh, you know, if the census goers come here pestering me about information they're not legally authorized to get, um, I call your deputies, you're going to, Arrest them for trespass, right? Yep, that was the deal. Again, they're not authorized to come badger you for information. They're not. You don't have a duty to respond. I don't care what what law the federal the Congress has put forth. If it's unconstitutional, it's void. It doesn't exist. Alexander Hamilton, the multiple Supreme Court cases. We need to understand this. So when the form shows up, um, I'm not answering any questions about the people in the household other than, yeah, there are, here's how many people in the house, in this household. And granted, we got several years before the next census. But guess what? Why are they making the change now? Well, so that come census time, you don't think about it because it's just there now. And I have to ask you, why? Are our employees in Congress allowing this invasion of our privacy, this this 
uh, searching of information about us without any due process, without any probable cause. Why? Have you thought about that? See, we're supposed to be secure in our persons, houses, papers, and effects. Well, guess what? If you're here pestering me for information that I don't want to give you, that's a violation. That, that is an unreasonable search. You're searching for information you don't have a need for. That's a violation of the Fourth Amendment, which also means, guess what? That makes it a federal crime because they're depriving you of a right protected by the Constitution under color of law. The point I want to get back to is, is this what we hired government for to pester us about information we don't want to give them so they can tell us how they're going to use our money to help people that to do things we didn't authorize them to do? Because we've never seen a situation where government takes information and uh, uses it against people for political purposes. You know, like the, the, the latest uh, um, journalist to be charged related to January 6th. David Medina of, of Sherwood, Oregon, was arrested by the FBI um, because they, they, they claim that uh, he... He was he's charged with felony obstruction of a political of an official proceeding and several misdemeanors, including destruction of government property, entering or remaining in, an, in a, any restricted building or grounds without lawful authority, disorderly and disruptive conduct in a restricted building or grounds, disorderly conduct in the Capitol, uh, and parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. Now, there's a lot of nonsense going in here, right? Um, and and not simply dealing with with Mr. Medina, who, by the way, says he he intends to plead not guilty, because again, did he actually obstruct an official proceeding, or was he there a journalist recording the actions of others? Did he enter property? Was he allowed in, or we did he enter forcefully? Did he have to go past security? Did security wave him into the building? We're seeing again. Uh, uh, government actors run amok. Now, uh, sure, you look at, um, you say, well, the FBI, what, what's Congress supposed to do? Well, first of all, you have the President of the United States. He gets elected by the states every four years. Have you thought about that? But what about, the, what about this? We've already seen legislation where Congress plans to decrease the salary of the Secretary of DHS uh, if he doesn't follow the law and produce the data he's required. When is Congress going to start saying, wait a second, it's time for the FBI to provide, where's, the, where's your data? Where's the warrant? I, I, I actually do. I want, to, I want to see the warrant because I want to see what basis they're doing this. And the problem is no one is holding them accountable. Now, part of that shouldn't be a surprise because you have the executive branch that's actually using the FBI and the Department of Justice for these means. Where's the call from? Where, where, where's the call from uh, Congress saying, wait a second, do you have a legitimate purpose? Because if you are arresting people without due process, well, that's a federal, that, that's, that's criminal activity. It's punishable by up to a year in jail. That makes, and by the way, if you used firearms during the arrest, that's up to 10 years in jail. That should be a, 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 a felony. A, a a high crime. What are your people, the people who you hire to represent you in Congress, what are they doing to make sure that the laws are, uh, that, that 
that the laws they've made have not uh, have not been abused, and what are they doing to hold the executive branch accountable? So we're dealing specifically with one branch of government looking at the other branch of government. You say, well, they're Paul, they're co-equal branches of government. No, they're not. The president cannot, cannot fire a member of Congress, but the Congress can fire the president. They can impeach the president. The president can impeach congressmen, but the Congress can impeach them. The, the, uh, federal, the, the president cannot deny funds to Congress, but Congress can deny funds to the executive. They are not co-equal. Check the website. I, I did a whole uh, article about this. It's, it's actually part of my three myths about the Constitution, three things we know to be true that just aren't. But I have to ask you, as this is going on, again, the president's elected by the states, but you tell the state who you want them to vote for. Who are you going to tell your state you want to vote for when you see the... And even if even if Biden isn't directly saying, pick this person, that is, he is responsible. All the executive powers are his. They're performed in, in his name. But I want to go back to say, what are your state, what are the states doing? I'm wondering, is Oregon looking at this saying, wait a second, you've arrested a citizen of the state of Oregon. Are there, uh, uh, is, is it being done properly? Is it time for the states to stand up and say, wait a second, no, you are, a, you, you are yourself abusing, you are self-committing uh, uh, crimes within our state. Let's charge the FBI actors, if that's the case. If they are depriving him of his rights under color of law, let's see that as well. And let's not forget the judges, right? Because if there's a warrant, then a judge signed it. And if the judges are signing warrants, not based on probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, well, then they're acting criminally as well, which means they should be impeached as well. See, a lot of, of saying, well, is a, an employee doing their job is not simply, are they not doing bad things? The question is, are they doing, are they, I should say, it's not that they're doing bad things. It's also, hey, wait a second, you're not doing the good things you're supposed to do. That's part of your oath as well. Now, of course, we don't simply hire employees at the federal level. Oh, no. You have state and local uh, uh, employees as well that we need to consider. But take There's right, there's right now a, a, a tiff. There's a case going on between uh, Governor New York Governor Hochul and uh, Representative Lee Stefanik. And it has it revolves around uh, a, a law called the Early Mail Voter Act um, that was signed in September of last year by Governor Hochul. And again, it's designed to um, get more and more people to vote by mail. Now, part of the problem is uh, there's there's evidence that um, mail-in voting is not as secure, and there's been a lot of fighting about that. And of course, this primarily is a is a political fight. But I have to ask you. I left New York State, among other reasons, because of the corruption I saw that was not um, dealt with within the state. Um, knowing that mail-in voting is less secure than in-person voting. I, I, I challenge anyone to have a reasonable argument about how mail-in voting is as secure or rather than more secure than in-person voting. Um, you, you you can't ask for a photo ID and mail-in voting. Therefore, um, 
you're trusting signature verification as to whether or not the person who's who casts a ballot is the one that actually voted. And of course, these are these are not simply absentee, where the person um, uh, has to show cause to vote at to to not vote in person. This is a general uh, power to do so, which expands the opportunity for um, malfeasance during an election. So I have to ask you: If you live in New York State, is it, do you find this to be a good idea? Is your representative in the in the governorship um, following the law? Following her, that employee, uh, following the, their, their oath. Here's another one. How often, how much have we heard about the uh, rampant crime in so many, uh, so many cities? Most of them, by the way, run by uh, uh, we'll call them blue uh, uh, mayors and 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 uh, city councils. See the 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 idea like it was in San Francisco. You can say you can steal up to was a thousand dollars worth of merchandise and not be charged. And uh, it's funny because a lot of people have been complaining about that. But the one I I've not heard that much of is how we we talk about was it Walmart and we talk about the Walgreens and other businesses leaving these high crime areas because. They're being ripped off, and the government refuses to do anything about it. Are they following their handbook? Are they following the law? Are those, are your representatives there? But here's the thing. A, a company like a Walmart or a Walgreens or a Publix, they can afford to shut a business down and move. What about all those small businesses that make so many of the jobs that we claim we need? Um, many of them saying they cannot survive. It's not a question of shutting down a, a location and moving. It's a question of shutting down, period. So I have to ask you, if you're in one of these cities or one of these states that says, no, we're, we're not going to charge people, we're, we're not going to hold them accountable, uh, we're not going to use bail to make sure they show up to court, um, are, they, are those employees following the handbook? Are they doing the job you hired them to do? And if not, why do you keep voting for them? Do you vote for them because, well, they're a donkey or an elephant? That, to me, doesn't seem like a good reason to vote for somebody. Are you voting for them because uh, they, they look good, uh, they've answered some good questions, they've told you they're going to do something that you really, really like? Um, did they actually do it? Is what they offered you even legal? I had this conversation yesterday with somebody who had an idea that sounded great. I says, the problem is what you're asking the president to do, they don't have the constitutional authority to do. Oops. We were actually talking about Trump and, uh, uh, and, and his project to spend money on education. Federal government's not authorized to spend money on education. See, if we want to have better employees, one, we have to know the handbook they're supposed to be working by. We have to, if we want them to fulfill their oath, we have to know what it is they're fulfilling their oath to. Then we have to observe them. Are they fulfilling that oath? But how do we know if they're fulfilling their oath to support the Constitution if the vast majority of the American people don't even know what the Constitution says? And then how do you know if they're a good employee if you don't know what they're they're supposed to be doing, you don't know how they're doing their job, when you find that they're doing things illegal, when they're not when they're not following the employee handbook, 
when they're not doing what they what they took an oath or affirmation to do if you don't punish them for it stop waiting for someone else to do it do it yourself see if we want to if we if we want a better class of employees we need to make sure we're hiring based on better standards and i think until we start looking at these elected people the elected officials as employees rather than bosses leaders or some other powerful person we're going to continue to get evil and corrupt employees and then wonder why the united states goes out of business now i hope you come back and join me every weekday at 4 p.m eastern time for the constitution study on america out loud talk radio heard on the iHeartRadio network if you cannot listen then that's okay every episode goes to podcast generally a day or two after they're heard on talk radio you can listen to your favorite podcast app but do me a favor subscribe to the show and leave me ratings it helps other people find the constitution study especially if you leave them on apple Podcasts. find all the links you need at the homepage at americaoutloud.news as i keep saying knowledge is not power until it's put into action so take that those links take this information and share them by doing so you help share the blessings of liberty. Thank you.